Have you ever wrestled with the, the question of why it so often seems that the, the wicked and evil in our world seem to prosper, and yet good people, righteous people, so often seem to, to suffer and experience trials and hardships? It's one of the, the questions that I think uh, all of us as humans wrestle with at one time or another. Uh, sometimes it just seems as if things in this world aren't fair and as if uh, justice is turned upside down. And this is a, a question that not only do we wrestle with in this day and age, but it's a question people have wrestled with for thousands of years. Uh, we're going to see this even today as we look to the wisdom of King Solomon once again in our series in Ecclesiastes. Even King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrestled with this seeming incongruity of the, the wicked prospering and the righteous suffering. It's very interesting, just this past week, last Thursday, October 17th, I was here in my office, I was working on my sermon, and I took a break in the afternoon. I started scrolling through my Twitter feed to check the news and see what was going on in the world, and, and all of the news sites were telling a story of what took place in the city of Culiacan, Mexico, last week. You may have heard the story of the notorious drug lord, the son of El Chapo Guzman, who is currently serving a life sentence in Colorado. His uh, three sons have taken over the Sinaloa drug cartel, and they are responsible for upwards of 30,000 murders in Mexico in the past year. Last Thursday, Mexican security forces captured one of El Chapo's sons. And in retaliation for his capture, the Sinaloa drug cartel unleashed a hellstorm of fury throughout the city of Culiacan, a city of 100,000 people. Over 100 armed gunmen in armored vehicles roamed through the streets indiscriminately shooting, killing, blowing up gas tanks, buses overwhelming the state police in that city. Their violence was so overwhelming that all the government officials of Mexico could do was release El Chapo's son, the leader of this notorious drug cartel. They let him go in order to stop the violence. And news outlets all over the world last week were questioning, how could they let this happen? How could you capture a man who's responsible for tens of thousands of deaths and yet be overwhelmed by the violence and retaliation and just let him go? Where's the justice in this? And I thought to myself as I read these articles, this is just absurd. This is insane. And it was especially troubling to me because just the evening before, I learned of the death of a beautiful seven-year-old little girl. Pastor Stephen's daughter. And I remember thinking in the moment, Lord, why is the world this way? Why do we live in a world where notorious drug dealers responsible for the murders of thousands of people and, and, and the deaths of hundreds or millions more through the effect of their drug empire God, why do you allow notorious criminals like this to roam free? And yet, little girls are stricken with terminal cancer. And so we wrestle with questions like this. 
Where is the justice? Where is God's judgment? Where is the fairness in all of these things? And I can imagine you've asked those questions many times as well. We live in a world where so often it seems that the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And where is God in all of this? Well, last week we saw King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, in his wisdom, he began to look at the question of death. Last week we saw how Solomon commended death and mourning to us as good things for our soul. It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, Solomon said, because when we consider the reality of death, it forces us to confront our own mortality. It forces us to wrestle with those ultimate questions of life and what happens when we die. But as Solomon pondered the reality of death, he realized that there was another aspect to this question. And that was the issue of why is it that the just and the righteous so often suffer while the wicked seem to prosper? Well, we're going to see Solomon's observations on this question today in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 10 through 17. I'm going to read our passage for us this morning, and then I want to come back and make four observations today from Solomon's words in regards to these troubling questions. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 8, Solomon says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will not be well, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go well with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. It's an interesting passage. Here in these words of King Solomon, we find four unique observations that Solomon makes in regards to the questions that we asked earlier. Solomon begins with a dilemma pondered. A dilemma pondered. We see this in verse 10 and 14. Solomon mentions how he saw the wicked who were buried They used to go in and out of the holy place. And these wicked people were praised. They were praised in the city in which they did their wickedness. Here Solomon may have been thinking of the the temple priests 
who were notorious at times for their wickedness, for, for selling religious favors to the people. We saw this last year in our series in the book of Micah, the prophet Micah, judging the priests of Israel for, for bribery, for, for gaining, taking profit for their religious services. And this may be some of the people that Solomon is referring to. And yet these people, Solomon says, were praised for the things that they did. And this is vanity. He goes on in verse 14. He says, there's a vanity that takes place on the earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. This also is vanity. In other words, sometimes it appears that the righteous get what the wicked deserves. And other times the wicked seem to prosper in the ways that the righteous deserve. It doesn't make sense. Solomon points out two aspects of this dilemma here. Verse 10, we live in a world where the wicked are often praised and the righteous are ignored. It's very interesting. I remember a few years ago visiting Beijing, China. If you go to Beijing, China, you can visit the tomb of Chairman Mao. Chairman Mao, who instituted the Cultural Revolution in China, killing over 45 million people in four years. And yet today, if you go to Tiananmen Square in Beijing, you will see every single day thousands and thousands and thousands of Chinese people lining up to go and visit Chairman Mao's tomb to pay homage to a man that the Chinese consider to be a great man. They praise him today in China. And yet he killed over 45 million people. You can go to Red Square in Moscow where I visited and you can see the same thing. You can visit the tomb of Lenin and the tomb of Stalin. Again, people responsible for the deaths of tens of millions. And yet they're praised today as great men. Solomon says the wicked are praised in the very city in which they did such things. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. I remember looking at this picture this week thinking, how tragic is it that every day tens of thousands of Chinese line up to pay homage to a man responsible for murdering 45 million people? And yet we have friends like our dear friend Kay who visited us earlier this summer a Chinese woman who runs an orphanage for the disabled in China. No one knows her name. No one praises her name. No one gives her any respect or homage. She spends her whole life toiling on behalf of the least of these in China. And yet tens of thousands go and praise a man who was a notorious mass murderer. We live in a very very messed up world. The Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse into where this tragic reality comes from in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32, the Apostle Paul says this, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but notice, friends, they give approval to those who practice them. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, recognized the evil in our world, and he said, not only do men commit evil, but we give approval to those who do such things. Here Paul tells us that we praise the ungodly in life, and Solomon observes that we memorialize them in their deaths, and at the end of the day, it's all vanity, meaningless. We live in this upside-down world. In verse 14, Solomon says, We live in a world where justice often seems reversed. Sometimes it happens to the wicked according to the deeds of the righteous, and sometimes it happens to the righteous according to the deeds of the wicked. It doesn't make sense. Those who go about life and do things the right way often seem to get what the wicked deserve. And those who spend their whole lives rebelling against God often seem to be rewarded. I remember when I was in high school, my junior year, I tried out for the golf team at Eden Prairie High School. And I, I'm, I was a pretty good golfer. Today, I'm still a fairly good golfer. I'm not as good as Tom Tangwell. I've never had a hole-in-one. It's all vanity, Tom. <laughs> but I remember I was all excited. I had practice. I had trained. I was prepared. And I went to the tryout. It was a nine-hole tryout. And there were about 20 guys that went. And my buddy Joe and I were paired up with two guys who had been on the team the year before. And we were to play as a foursome and record our scores. And the top 10 guys would make the team. And I remember going through the tryout that afternoon, playing. And I was playing pretty well. But as I was playing, I was marking my scores down honestly, consistently. And pretty soon, my buddy Joe and I started realizing that the two guys we were playing with were cheating. They weren't recording their scores accurately. They, they weren't playing their shots where the ball lied. They would kick their ball to give themselves a better lie, and they wouldn't count the stroke. They weren't counting their penalty strokes. We got to the end of the round, and when we turned in our scores, and the coaches reported the scores and the guys who made the team, we recognized that the guys who were playing with us submitted scores far lower than they had actually played that day. And they ended up making the team. And I got cut. And I remember thinking, this isn't fair. This isn't just. This isn't right. I, I played well, and I played honestly, and I recorded my score faithfully, and yet these guys who spent the last three hours cheating the whole way around the course, they're rewarded with a spot on the team. It's just not fair. And I'm sure we've all had experiences like that in our lives. Whether in school, in sports, in your workplace. Sometimes it happens to the righteous as the wicked deserve. And oftentimes it happens to the wicked as the righteous deserve. Solomon says we live in this upside-down world. 
This is a dilemma that people have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Asaph in Psalm 73, one of King David's choir directors, he records this dilemma like this. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? Because I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through their fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they thread oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Man, it sure seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? God's people have wrestled with this reality for thousands of years. Solomon has even more to say on this matter. You see, he doesn't just observe this dilemma. He goes on to note for us today the consequences of it. And here in verse 11, Solomon points out a delay that is despaired. A delay, despaired. In verse 11, because the sentences against an evil deed are not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Solomon says when there's a delay in justice, the evil hearts of men and women rush to do more evil. Ever since I was a little kid, I have always been fascinated by the Old West, stories of the cowboys and Indians and the the famous gangsters and robbers and the the famous sheriffs like Wyatt Earp. I remember as a kid growing up, uh, between eighth grade and high school, I read every single Louis L'Amour novel ever published. I have, seriously. I love the Old West. One of my favorite characters of the Old West is Wyatt Earp. If you're familiar with the story of Wyatt Earp, he became famous as a, as a lawman in Dodge City, Kansas. He retired from his, uh, his days as a lawman, and he went out to Tombstone, Arizona to make his fortune in mining. And as his family lived there in Tombstone, Arizona, they quickly began to recognize that the town of Tombstone had been overrun by a notorious gang of outlaws called the Cowboys. The Cowboys roamed the streets of Tombstone with impunity, committing violence, committing murder, doing whatever they pleased. And Wyatt Earp and his brothers recognized if there was ever going to be any hope for prosperity, there needed to be justice. Because the longer they allowed these Cowboys to run roughshod over the people of Tombstone, the more and more evil would just increase. And so Wyatt Earp and his brothers, along with Doc Holliday, confronted the cowboys. Famous story of the O.K. Corral. And they brought justice to the town of Tombstone. Because as Solomon says, when there is no justice, wickedness increases. And friends, the reality is human nature hasn't changed at all since the days of the Old West. The reality of lawlessness and justice delayed continues to this day, to provoke hearts towards sin and evil. And friends, if you want to see proof of this reality, I just encourage you, just watch the the evening news tonight. 
We've seen all kinds of examples of this just in recent days on the news. We see stories almost nightly of politicians and government officials who seem to never face justice for their wrongdoings. It's like there's this double standard that exists for those who are in the ruling class and the average citizens. We've seen stories in recent days about major metropolitan areas all across the country being overwhelmed with homeless encampments, drug abuse running rampant on the streets of these cities, human waste littering the sidewalks, the spread of diseases not seen since the dark ages, the bubonic plague running rampant in the city of Los Angeles today. And to make matters worse, our culture is so preoccupied by our own selfish political and economic interests that people don't even care. They just let it go on. We've seen the rise of so-called petty crimes, crimes like shoplifting, burglary, and theft, looting, as city prosecutors in some of the major metropolitan areas of our country refuse to prosecute these criminals. District attorneys in cities like Dallas, Texas, and Sacramento, California coming out saying, look, we're not going to prosecute these crimes anymore. Are you serious? What do you think is going to happen? Lawlessness is just going to continue to increase. This is biblical truth. This is common sense. We see the rampant spread of immorality today in a society that has simply turned a blind eye to perversion. We have easier access today to pornography than ever before. I was talking with a friend this week. We were noting, lamenting the reality how when we were kids, you had to go to some seedy back alley bookstore to find pornography. Sadly, today, our kids can type in three letters on their cell phone and get access to some of the worst filth imaginable. We have politicians today advocating the legalization of prostitution. We see states across our country promoting perverse sex ed curriculums in our public schools. The state of California's latest sex ed standards teaching little kids that pedophilia is just another sexual orientation. We look on the global scale. And we see hostile powers like Russia, Turkey, Iran, and China ramping up their persecution of Christianity, stealing territory from neighboring countries, looking to expand their global influence through military might and cyber warfare. Friends, you better believe Solomon's assessment of humanity's problem was right on. When justice is delayed, sin and evil increase. See, make no mistake about it, as I mentioned earlier, we live today in a Romans 1 world, a world that's been tainted by the corruption of sin. The Apostle Paul also said in Romans 1, 18 to 23, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodlessness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became foolish." 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. See, friends, this is the biblical worldview. This is the Bible's answer for the reality of sin and evil and wickedness and justice in our world today. We have turned our back on God. We have turned our back on his truth. We have suppressed the truth. We have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And now we are reaping the fruit of this in our culture and in our society as sin and evil and wickedness increase. But there are others in our world today who would look at the injustice and evil that we see around us, and they would come to a different conclusion. They would come to the conclusion that all this is simply proof that there really is no God. There really is no ultimate justice. Dr. William Provine, a well-known atheist from Cornell University, in one of his recent books on Darwinian evolution, he says this, when you die, you're not going to be surprised because you're going to be completely dead. Now, if I find myself aware after I'm dead, I'm going to be really surprised. But at least I'm going to go to hell where I won't have all those grinning preachers from Sunday morning. There are no gods, no purposes, no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I am absolutely certain that I'm going to be dead. That's the enemy. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life. Since we know that we are not going to live after we die, there is no reward for suffering in this world. You live and you die. Wow. How sad. But friends, what if Dr. Provine's correct? What if all the evil and injustice in the world really is evidence that there is no God? I mean, if God exists, where is he? Well, friends, the Apostle Peter has an answer to that question for us, an answer that actually corroborates Solomon's own conclusion. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter says this, Know this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Friends, Peter tells us that God delays judgment for sin and evil and unrighteousness because he is patient with sinners. And he doesn't want to see anyone perish And so while wickedness increases, God is being patient, giving us time as individuals, as a culture, as a world to turn to him in repentance. But make no mistake, friends, judgment is coming. Sometimes God's judgment comes in this life. Like we heard in the news this morning from President Trump 
Last night, the ISIS leader, al-Baghdadi, was killed in a special forces raid in Syria, a man responsible for killing tens of thousands of people across the Middle East over the last decade. Justice came for that man. But whether justice comes in this life or justice comes in the next, God's word tells us that judgment is always coming. And this leads me to our third observation today. Solomon tells us there is a decisive judgment. In verses 12 and 13, we read, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Friends, having a biblical worldview makes all the difference when we look at the presence of evil and injustice in our world. Is it all random, meaningless, with no ultimate vindication to look forward to, as Dr. Provine suggested earlier? Or is there a God who is sovereign over human history? A God who is faithful in the midst of a corrupt and fallen world? A God who promises ultimate justice? See, friends, holding fast to the promises of God makes all the difference in the way that you answer these questions. And God's word promises us that justice is coming. Asaph, who we saw earlier in Psalm 73, after wrestling with the question of where is justice in this world, he went on to write this. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God And then I discerned their end, the end of the wicked. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment and swept away utterly by terrors. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. You see, friends, God's word is consistent from the beginning to the end. Scriptures tell us that a day of judgment is coming. And what will this day of judgment look like? The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 6-9, through 9, he says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Friends, there is coming a terrible day of judgment according to God's word. Revelation 20 explains further what this day of judgment will look like. John, in his vision of the apocalypse, he says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, you got to know that there is a reality facing each one of us a day of judgment and an eternal destination based upon where you stand before God. To those who have put their hope in Jesus Christ, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, you will be sent to eternal glory in the presence of our Savior and King Jesus. And those whose names are not found written in the book of life will spend eternity in separation from God where Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, the doctrine of hell, the reality of hell is serious business. And we do not revel in this reality. We are not those grinning preachers that William Provine talked about. We weep over the reality of hell. As Francis Schaeffer, the great apologist, once said, we must teach the doctrine of hell with tears because there will be millions of people who one day will stand before God's judgment and they will not be clothed with the righteousness of Christ because they never put their hope in Jesus in this life. And they will be cast out into outer darkness forever. See, friends, all of us are going to die one day. And when you die, you will face judgment. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28 tells us it is destined for man to die once and then comes judgment. And when you face that judgment, you will face one of two possibilities, eternal life with God in heaven or eternal separation from the source of life, from God himself. People sometimes ask me, Jason, how bad is hell? You got to know this morning, friends, hell is so bad that it costs the Son of God his very life to keep you from going there. There was no other way. But Jesus laid down his life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, And he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, there's no other way. Only Jesus. Have you put your trust in Jesus? Lastly today, Solomon leaves us with this parting counsel on how we should now live in light of all we've seen thus far this morning. Solomon tells us in verses 15 through 17 that there is a day to enjoy. Solomon says, And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go well with him in his toil through his days that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man can find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will never find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find out. Friends, what is Solomon's ultimate point this morning when we look at the reality of evil in this world? Solomon says here, look at we're not always going to understand God's plans and purposes. There will be things in this life that sometimes seem unfair. But as we've seen repeatedly throughout our series, Solomon says, trust God. Trust in his sovereignty. Believe that he has an eternal plan and that justice will be served. And in the meantime, carpe diem, 
Seize the day. Embrace the good gifts that God has given us. Trust the Lord. Be content in him. Enjoy the blessings of life that he gives us. As Solomon's father, King David, said in Psalm 118, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Trust in the Lord, friends. Put your hope in him for eternity and know that one day justice will come. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we wrestle with these questions because oftentimes we see things in this world that don't seem fair, that don't seem just. And Lord, we have to trust in you. And so as Solomon concluded here today, help us, Father, to hold on to our faith, to embrace life in your good gifts, to trust that you will be faithful in bringing justice to all the unrighteousness and wickedness in this world. And in the meantime, let us live lives of joy and contentment in you. This is the day that the Lord has made. God, you are sovereign. You are in control. You are faithful and you are good. Help us to cling to those promises. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we talk about the reality of your coming judgment, I pray that there wouldn't be anyone here this morning who would miss out on this opportunity to put their trust in you as the only path to eternal life. Jesus, you provide the forgiveness of sins that we need. You provide reconciliation between us and you, our creator God. It's only you, Jesus. And so, Lord, if there's anybody here today who does not have the assurance that their name is written in your book of life, I pray that even right now this morning, they might turn their heart over to you. Say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Today I want to embrace the gift that you purchased for me on the cross. I want you, Jesus, to come into my life and be my Savior and Lord so that I too can know life everlasting. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness today. We praise your name, Jesus' name, amen.